Look into his Palantir's earnings, you are missing a few important metrics. I believe that true nuance is where value is found. And there's a few areas that I think people have skipped over uh, in which can give more context and understanding towards, for example, why the revenue growth slowed down so considerably, specifically within the US commercial space, so on and so forth. So this is going to be part one of a series and a range of discussions, debates, writings, audio format recordings, so on and so forth regarding the earnings. Uh, this is just part one of the digestion uh, that took me a few days to kind of uh, write about, understand, and then release to the public. So this is part one. I want to look over the three most important metrics that I think are vital to understand when you're investing in Palantir. This is customer acquisitions, US commercial revenue growth, and net dollar retention rate. These are important metrics to understand in order to compute um, the wellness of a certain quarter. Uh, let's put it that way. So customer acquisitions was a point of concern for me, if I'm being totally frank. Customer acquisitions is an important factor to consider as a customer acquisition metric is a leading indication of future revenues for Palantir. We know that, in other words, the clients that Palantir requires now translates into meaningful revenues in two to three to four year time. So the clients Palantir requires now translates into meaningful revenues in three years time. The Palantir customer account this quarter rose to a total of 337 in which represents 33 new customer additions for the quarter. And straight off the back, there seems to be a concerning picture painted for Palantir regarding the customer growth and the acquisitions. This is especially true in the recent light of not only increased modularization, but also simultaneously um, the ramping of the sales force in which previously was hideously small, around 41 individuals for the full year of 2020. Uh, well, the first half of 2022 for the first full year of 2021, Salesforce was around four individuals, which is utterly absurd. But regardless, we're seeing now increased efforts. Uh, and we have seen for some time, there's kind of not much, um, there's been a, a lot of time since this was first announced uh, t towards current date. So we've seen the ramping of the Salesforce come into fruition simultaneously with the modularization, which is importantly to note. So I posed a question, if Palantir really does have the supernatural product capabilities, as everyone suggests, then why isn't customer client growth increasing considerably quarterly? And the yearly trend looks like this for the customer additions in the first quarter of 22, 40 new customer additions. In the second quarter of 22, 27 new customer additions in the third quarter of 2022, 33 new customer additions. So for the past few quarters, investors have excused the limit of growth on customer additions based on the lack of modularization simultaneously coupled with the bottleneck of the sales force. That has kind of been the excuse as to why we've seen slow customer acquisitions quarterly. However, during the past few quarters, these excuses, I believe, seem to have faded slightly in light of the increased level of modularization of Palantir in conjunction with, as I stated, with the, with the ramping of the sales force. And why is customer acquisition very slow? This is the question we need to have answers to. Dr. Cup doesn't really like Wall Street. You can tell he doesn't really like answering questions. But uh, as an investor, I feel like you're, you're piecing together almost a maze and uh, a, a range of kind of disconnected, seemingly disconnected data points in which simultaneously kind of combine into one and then make more sense as time goes on. Kind of annoying, but it is what it is. Once again, importantly to reiterate, customer acquisitions is a leading indication of future revenue spanter, and therefore it is a necessary metric to track, undoubtedly. The prior reasons regarding limited customer growth, mainly due to the lack of modularization and the bottleneck of the sales force, both had much truth. Don't get me wrong, these were very true claims. But what I'm saying now is that perhaps these, these truths have 
of, of and these kind of excuses, if I can call them that, starting to fade. Uh, it was very clear in the past and very obvious that Punter was attempting to sell a very invasive, uh, holistic, and very expensive software solution. And this caused increased levels of friction associated with selling the software solution to organizations. However, now after clear modularization of the product offering, this argument seems to have little truth. And furthermore, regarding the bottleneck of the sales force, as I touched upon briefly, this was clearly a point of issue in the past. In the past, yes, specifically, this was a big point of debate. Why haven't they done this quicker? How long is it going to take? And when, we get, when are we going to start seeing results? And the company had a limited sales force in which solely made up 1% of the company headcount during the majority of 21 to 2022. In fact, it was probably, I think it was actually less than that. In in the majority of 2021, Palantir's uh, overall uh, sales force was Dr. Carp and a few other people. Carp was kind of the leading guy when it comes when it came to selling the software solution, which I think in itself is fairly staggering that they got to this 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 level uh, in consideration of the <laughs> of the limited sales force, sales force that they had in 2021 with just Carp at the forefront. But regardless, it was back in Q1 of 2022 in which we started to understand the company's plans for ramping up the sales force. And this is important to understand that ramping up the sales force does take upwards of nine months until you're fully qualified to sell the software solution for Palantir. Um, but this training period, I believe, seems to have started to fade. The excuse is starting to become less valid. A few quarters ago, this was a fair excuse. Customer acquisitions are slow because the sales force is very, very weak. Uh, and there's literally no sales force at all. But we would expect, and we are still expecting, that in light of the recent developments of the Salesforce and the ramping, which now has occurred for a good nine months or so, this kind of training period, the selling should start coming into fruition more aggressively now. And also, it would seem absurd that the ramping of the Salesforce is entirely complete. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm just trying to say that the ramping is occurring and importantly, it's been occurring for some time. Thus, I would expect improvements on this front regarding customer acquisitions. Whilst there were some improvements in comparison to Q2 of the year, I would argue that this is a slight increase and it is not anything substantial, therefore cannot be viewed as a reliable data point to build a thesis upon. Now, feeding into this um, is kind of the US commercial revenue growth. And this is where it gets more interesting in terms of the new pricing model for Palantir and how this reflects onto the revenue growth that we've seen. And some, some potential theories and ideas that I have uh, regarding the slowdown that we've seen, uh, interestingly and very surprisingly, in the commercial space in comparison to the governmental space this quarter. US commercial growth has been fairly exponential in the past few quarters, with growth rates continuously higher than 100% monthly, quarter over quarter. They've been fairly, fairly staggering, to say the least. However, this quarter, the growth dramatically slowed down. The importance of the US commercial being strong is no trivial feat, and it's basically centered on the idea that the US is a leader when it comes to technological adoption um, and is often a leading variable when it comes to technology. Uh, other nations, such as Europe, the UK, so on and so forth, they often adopt technology far uh, slower than the US does. The US has a unique and structurally strong atomic nature, if, it, 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 which is centered really on agility. Uh, to put it very simply, it's centered on new technologies being adopted. And the US is undoubtedly a leader in this space of technological adoption and, and really organizational utility, which is the phrase that I like. Therefore, the US, putting it very, very clearly, must be a leading variable. We must view the US commercial sector specifically as a leading variable of success and which is going to occur elsewhere around the world at a later date. When the US adopts technology and, and, and an innovation, firstly, other nations are lagging variables of this leadership by the US. Below highlights the figures of the US commercial customer count in Q4 of 2021. We had 80 as the total US commercial customer count that rose to 
103 in Q1 of 22, in Q2 of 22, that rose to 119, and in Q3 of 2022, this rose to 132. So whilst the client acquisition front for the US commercial looks what I would call okay, the revenue for the commercial has rapidly halted. Now, why is that? Well, US commercial revenue growth has been very, very exponential. Uh, in the past few quarters. If you look at a year-over-year -year basis, you can see in Q Q3 of 2021, this was 103% in Q1 of... The US, the US commercial revenue has been fairly exponential over the past few quarters. If you look on a year-over-year -year basis, you can see that Q3 of 2021, you saw 103% US commercial revenue growth year-over-year. -year. That was 132 in Q4 of 2021. And fast forward all the way to Q2 of 2022, that was 120% year-over-year growth for the US commercial revenue growth. Uh, but this quarter, we see we saw a very strange dynamic in which there was a sudden slowdown and a pretty dramatic slowdown. Q3 of 2022, 53% uh, year-over-year growth for the US commercial revenue growth, which is slightly strange and I think has caused many questions. So the question that I was thinking is, why is there a slowdown? What has happened so dramatically? And I don't have a final thesis on this, but I do have some theories in which I think holds some truth and should be kind of battled with and should be discussed. Why the slowdown occurred? And you can read this writing, by the way, in the full glory on dantons.com if you wish to, and subscribe to the newsletter also. We don't email you often, but when we do, um, it's very, very good. So check this out if you want to hear more about Palantir and innovation overall. So whilst it's not fully known as to why the slowdown has occurred, it is likely due to a range of reasons, and one prominent reason that I think we're kind of battling when it seems to be the most uh, plausible reason is the introduction of consumption-based pricing models. Let me just read you a quote from Dr. Alex Karp, in which kind of gives more truth to this statement. Karp stated within a quote, Most IT people prefer a small bite in consumption, and you can argue whether that's the right model, but instead of fighting them, it's probably better to figure out a way to get our product more in their hands. So that's the kind of known part. What we've been working on recently, which is less known, is what we're really working on. We believe that people are paying a lot now for consumption and compute, said Alex Karp, the CEO of Palantir. In other words, a consumption-based pricing model is a service provision and payment scheme in which the customer pays according to the resources used. This is in comparison to the previous pricing models that Palantir were using in the past, in which was based on what is called all-you-can-eat, or in other words, providing everything that you need all at once for your organization. Well, that was what it was in theory, but in reality, often you didn't need certain things, you didn't want certain things, but you still have to pay a huge amount for this all-you-can-eat kind of approach. As reported back clearly in Q1 of 2021, we report this on dancers.com, there is a ongoing pricing model evolution, evolution for Palantir in a quote we said. Historically, there were only two ways to think about licensing, something like Foundry. Number one, you could use an enterprise license in which it's an all-you-can-eat solution or a license by use case aspirations with only two to three use cases. The consumption-based pricing model is now the main focus for Palantir, which I think is incredibly important to note. And this can explain the revenue deceleration, despite the fact that we still saw a fairly good growth rate quarter over quarter when it came to the US commercial uh, total customer count. Palantir is focusing on the consumption-based pricing model. Evolution allows folks to start with basically no commit. Instead, companies can start with issues that they want to start focusing on and over time slowly start to consume more. This, therefore, allows, in theory, for lower barriers to entry. However, also the potential for customers to move towards Palantir's full stack eventually. So over time, you ease the friction associated with the adoption of the product via the consumption-based pricing model. And then over time, because the software solution is so good, idealistically, 
this increases in adoption over time. So you get paid more over time, over a five-year period or so, uh, people consume more. And you don't have to believe me on this in terms of the excuse as to explain the revenue as, as I'll get to uh, momentarily, just linking the two data points together. Let's firstly hear from C3AI CEO, who recently introduced a consumption-based pricing model too. And he mentioned in a quote, that I'm pleased to announce that C3AI is transitioning from a subscription model to a consumption-based pricing model, bringing us in line with what is becoming the standard among software enterprise services, he said. We've implemented a new pricing model, in a quote, a new sales model, a new partner model, and a new application to accelerate the sales cycle, accelerate product adoption, and increase market share, as well as increasing revenue growth and profitability in the medium and long term. So Mr. Civil also mentioned that the economic downturn is real, and this is important to understand. He mentioned that our customers are scrutinizing big deals as never before, which also makes this a smart time to launch a consumption pricing model. In other words, all of this is to say that the introduction of consumption-based pricing may partially explain why Palantir experienced a revenue slowdown this quarter in the US commercial space specifically. Consumption-based pricing, as we mentioned, reduces the barriers to customer acquisition via not forcing customers to pay for features that they do not need. This inevitably is going to align costs with usage uh, as you appeal to much wider customer bases. Your lower utilization, customers may be more likely to buy with some eventually becoming large customers. So to put it clearly, clients start small. However, over time, they increase their consumption, thus reflecting in revenue increases for Palantir. It was actually back in March the 9th, I believe, of 2022, in which Xiaowei Sankar, so Q1 of this year, in which Sankar first mentioned uh, the usage base and the start of the usage-based pricing deals in which he said had begun. This was in the analyst call with the Morgan Stanley analysts. Therefore, this gives us some more strength in terms of the argumentation that we've stated beforehand being true regarding the customer um, changes in terms of pricing models, the consumption-based pricing models starting small, therefore perhaps reflecting into the low revenue that we've seen this quarter and therefore growing big over time. It's easing the friction associated with adoption, therefore appealing to a wider audience. This is not what Palantir were doing beforehand. They were doing an all-you-can-eat approach, which is invasive, it's expensive, and often organizations put off uh, this specific issue. So not only am I kind of Thinking about this thesis in more detail, but also Dr. Karp, I think, hinted towards this. Maybe I'm reading into this too much. I may be completely wrong, but Dr. Karp did kind of reinforce the notion, um, and it was highlighted clearly in his letter to shareholders. In the past, he said, within a quote, the time and effort required to build relationships and deliver our software to customers weighed on our ability to expand at a pace with demand in the market. We were iteratingly experimenting with building a software platform, and our customers were iterating and experimenting with us, he said. Furthermore, Karp went on to mention that perhaps this was necessary. Our approach, however, importantly, to the acquisition and onboarding of new customers have now changed significantly, a shift made possible by a far more systematic and mechanicized sales operation. A pure software business is now emerging, he mentioned within the quote. Carp also went on to mention that we have at this point essentially captured the market of the commercial enterprises and industrial leaders that were first to begin leveraging software to reshape their business. And the remainders are now following. Important to note, and I think this could link with the idea of consumption-based pricing models in which wide is the TAM in terms of easing the friction associated with adoption of the product. Now, the reason I say this is because, as I reiterated in the past, this could explain the sudden deceleration um, in revenue for the U.S. commercial space. However, simultaneously, I wouldn't say that the U.S. commercial 
uh, total client count for the quarter was poor, as I'll get to momentarily, if the US commercial total customer count was poor, if it suddenly went to zero or something, growth year, uh, quarter over quarter, then I'd be very, very concerned. But that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing fairly steady. I would label this okay growth with the US commercial client count. Uh, however, I would argue the revenue growth was 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 quite poor, staggeringly poor, uh, and perhaps such uh, quite a shock for some. So just important to kind of identify that nuance, why it occurred, maybe, and I think it's highly likely that the introduction of uh, usage-based pricing, consumption-based pricing, has something to do with this sudden drop in revenue. Because as I stated, with consumption-based pricing, you start small in terms of how much you're paying, you start for only what you need, then over time, this increases within consumption as you realize the utility of the software solution. Just an interesting kind of nuance perhaps to think about. So Jeffrey's also mentioned uh, in a very exclusive report that there were a few issues with Palantir. Uh, and this was actually every year ago, this report, but I still think it's very, very relevant today. Jeffrey's mentioned, uh, and they interviewed over 400 individuals that were using the Palantir software solution at the time, in regards to what feedback would you choose for Palantir? And 61% of respondents stated that Palantir is as a, quote, overkill for the use case. Furthermore, other respondents stated uh, reasons as to why deployment is too challenging, as well as mentioning that the product is supposedly too expensive. Only 3% of individuals said that there was no negative feedback for Palantir, according to Jeffries. And what is very, very interesting to me, and I think links very clearly, the current quarterly kind of uh, issues that we're having is the argument of overkill for the use case as reported by Jeffries and the people that they interviewed. This reinforces the previous concerns by investors, namely the fact that Foundry can be too invasive and thus can dis disincentivize adoption via this all-you-can-eat approach. It disincentivizes adoption, it's too expensive, it's too much, you don't need everything all at once. Therefore, the consumption-based pricing model coupled with, coupled with the modularization, I think, is um, attempts at easing the friction associated with Palantir's adoption for organizations. Now, whilst this is a theory and does hold truth, uh, this area of the business, specifically US commercial, must be understood and watched out for. Any sudden deceleration specifically uh, within the US commercial client count would be a point of concern for me. And this is a point that I'm watching by no means am I kind of excusing this and saying, oh, everything's fine. Uh, there's definitely uh, it's some issues here. We don't understand fully the context of the issue. I think we have some data points which can give some explanations as to why these certain decelerations have occurred. Um, but overall, it's a point of issue. It's a point to, to, to kind of grapple with. And it's definitely not a free sailing situation from, from here on out. So one issue that, that I do have with this thesis, and I think I have an explanation for this too, but one issue that I do have, and I think I'd urge you to think about in more detail, is the fact that if Palantir did adopt this new consumption-based pricing model, as I've suggested, this should lead to increased customer acquisitions quarterly. Now, whilst there was a slight increase in US commercial customer additions, I would not recognize this, this kind of uptick as anything um, substantial. It is currently very too, it is currently far too early to tell, I would argue, and there is little data uh, to deem this theory as truth. Um, it's also whilst I think about it, if the consumption-based pricing model was starting to kind of roll out in um, Q1 of the year, then maybe there was some explanation uh, regarding the deceleration we've seen in certain areas of the business in Q2. But overall, there seem to be some unanswered questions. This is a point of concern for me, uh, to put it very frankly. US commercial sector of the business is very, very important. I would like to just note, though, some, some kind of important uh, areas of contention and nuance. 
And that's related to, as I mentioned briefly, the US commercial client count. What would be of particular concern for the US commercial sector for the business would be a sudden, what I call a decline in the customer uh, acquisition quarterly. Now, whilst this quarter was not anything amazing in terms of US commercial customer acquisitions, I would not consider this problematic. Below is a graph of the US commercial customer acquisition count quarterly. And you can see in, 20, in, in Q4 of 2021, there was 80 overall total US commercial customer counts. In Q2 of 2022, this rose upwards of 103. In Q2 of 2022, this was 119. In Q3 of 2022, this was 132. So it would be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly concerning for me if there was a sudden drop-off in terms of customer acquisitions in the US commercial space. However, this is not occurring. From Q2 to Q3, we've seen an 11% increase in total customer count for the US commercial space. And this is compared to a 15% increase in the US commercial customer count for Q1 to Q2. Thus, whilst the percentage growth for US commercial customer count for Q3 is slightly down, 11% growth in Q3 compared to 15% growth in Q2, I think it is very unrealistic to call this a sudden slowdown. All of this is to say that in light of the new consumption-based pricing model resulting in lower realized revenues for initial adopters, as well as the steady US commercial client growth, this should ease the concerns of investors. I think this should give some explanation as to what we're seeing in comparison to just kind of lose our shit and get scared and sell everything. Revenues are going to be realized in the future. Uh, and a very, very important nuance to kind of uh, take into consideration. For now, just to reiterate my prior views, the most important metric to understand is client growth, as this is the leading indicator of future revenue realization for Palantir. So just to kind of touch on from the US commercial client count and the revenue growth slowdown that we saw, I think it's wise to just contextualize this in the context of, of, of the current macroeconomic environment. And I want to add some nuance and kind of correct some of my misunderstandings in the past that I think are wise to, to note. In addition to the prior comments, it's also vital for us to grapple with the macroeconomic challenges that organizations around the world are facing. And whilst in theory, one may assume that deflationary technologies are going to be used and adopted via organizations in order to cut costs and save time, often this does not occur right away. And I'd say it's only the past maybe three to six months in which we've seen kind of real crunch in terms of layoffs, in terms of organizations um, trying to cut costs and save times, in terms of kind of the chaotic environment heating up more aggressively. It's really been seen in the last three to six months, I would argue. There is an important distinction to be made in terms of reality and theory. And in theory, I think that we believe that in light of the chaotic environments, we have this kind of idealistic picture in which organizations are going to rapidly adopt all uh, wonderful software solutions that are deflationary in order to solve issues and cut costs. So in reality, I don't think this occurs instantaneously. It's a bit more elongated than we perceive. And organizational adoption of new innovative technologies takes more time than we as investors anticipate. And this is even true uh, within the US. So I mean, in the EU and other areas of the world in which they're less kind of um, susceptible to agility when it comes to new technological adoption, uh, I do think it's wise to kind of understand the nuance between theory and what is actually happening in, happening in reality. Or perhaps it's too kind of um, idealistic for us to think that instantaneously, the second that there's a bit of chaos in society, um, one quarter later, every single company in the whole entire world is going to start using Palantir. It's like, really? Maybe we just need to have a bit more patience. Maybe we just need to kind of... Uh, be more realistic in terms of our claims, even if the technology is as disruptive as, as we believe. Therefore, I mean, you could even argue that the US commercial business growing quarterly in terms of customer count is actually a good sign. Whilst revenues are yet to materialize, the customer count matters. 
And in light of macroeconomic conditions and issues, perhaps this could be viewed in a more optimistic light than many investors have previously proclaimed. So just an interesting kind of take on that. The third main area of issue and contention that I want to bring up is net dollar retention rate. To be totally frank, quite disappointed in this area. I think uh, we deserve to have some sort of explanation by management. I would like to identify as a reason as to why this is occurring. I wouldn't say, once again, this isn't an instantaneous red flag, but it is some area to watch out for. Uh, and if, if this continu continually does occur, then I think it's wise to say, and it's clear to say, there will be some issues to bring up. Net dollar retention rate is another vital metric to understand because this basically highlights, this figure that highlights the consumption of the product over time. And it, it really just, putting it very bluntly, in layman's terms, it highlights the stickiness of, of a software solution. Net dollar retention rate measures how much your annual reoccurring revenue or monthly reoccurring revenue has grown or shrunk over time. Within the case of Snowflake, they have a very, very high net dollar retention rate, quite staggering, or 178, indicating the stickiness, stickiness as a company. In terms of net dollar retention rate, the figures below reveal the trend for the past three quarters. In Q1 of 2022, pound you had 124% in terms of net dollar retention. In Q2 of 2022, this was 119, and it stayed stagnant uh, quarterly to Q3 of 2022, in which it was 119 again. So no growth there. And to be frank, this is slightly disappointing on the net dollar retention rate front. And after digestion of the recent foundry con events of Palantir, it seems clear that Palantir produces alpha in comparison to productivity growth. So the question is, if Palantir really does produce alpha for organizations, why isn't consumption of the product over time increasing dramatically? And that is an issue I think we can all grapple with as investors. I noted within my writing at Dunstance.com that whilst this is an instantaneous red flag, as investors, it is very necessary that these improvements are made on this front to ensure that this so-called palantir flywheel can occur. Net dollar retention rate is a vital figure to watch out for, and the fact that it was stagnant this month is a point of concern, is a point to watch out for, uh, and I think it should be investigated more deeply as to why this happened uh, and to kind of the future of this figure, because net dollar retention rate, as I stated, is incredibly important regardless. And specifically, I kind of like the distinction between alpha and productivity. Zoom uh, is, is a productivity uh, application. Snowflake is a productivity application. Palantir, I would argue, is an alpha application. It totally transforms your business. And whilst there's issues associated with both, specifically the creation of alpha, uh, I would say that if Palantir really does have, have this supernatural product that we've kind of suggested in the past, then why in the world isn't uh, net dollar retention rate, i.e. the consumption of the product via existing customers increasing dramatically over time? Just a question to think about uh, and to kind of digest. This is part one of my analysis of Palantir's earnings. Uh, expect more videos, audio recordings, and writings to be released in the next few hours and days regarding Palantir's earnings and a digestion of what we've heard. Thank you.